0: We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer, Christine Jones. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mitch Garber, a past parent in the LCC community, married to Anne Marie Boucher, a former LCC board member, and the father of Ryan from the class of 2017 and Dylan from the class of 2012. Well, what hasn't Mitch Garber accomplished? Today, I'm privileged to be able to have this conversation about his journey, successes, and diverse interests. And in a moment, you'll see why. Mitch is joining us from his office in Montreal. All right. Well, again, hi. Thanks for joining us. I thought maybe you could just start by telling us a bit about yourself, your story, and how that could be meaningful to anyone listening.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me in. I guess you probably know that LCC is pretty dear to, uh, to my heart. Both my sons graduated from LCC. One went to grade 12. The other one went through grade 11. And they really, it changed their lives, I think. You know, as a parent, I really enjoyed everything about the kind of values that were taught at LCC. And, you know, we've been involved. My wife was on the board for a number of years. So the school is very close to us. So I'd like to stay close to the school. I grew up in Montreal. I'm 57 years old. I went to private school. I went to Bialik, actually. My tuition was generally paid for by the donations of anonymous donors. My family didn't have a lot of money, but I went to private school, and so I benefited from private school. LCC is also open to students and families that can't afford to pay the full tuition. I think it's important because it allows LCC to have a cross-section of people not just a bunch of people who look the same and have similar bank accounts. And that's important when you're growing up. So that's one of the values that I also respect a lot about the school. Yes, it's an elite private school, but it also has the door open and raises funds to be able to allow less financially able people to attend the school. So I grew up in Montreal. I graduated high school. I went to Cégep. I went to McGill University and got a BA. I always wanted to be a lawyer. My father had dropped out of school in the eighth grade. My mom went to teacher's college at the time. That was a very good thing for women to do. So my mom grew up in an age where, you know, women generally stayed home and generally didn't go to university, generally didn't become professionals. So both my parents wanted their children to have university educations and have professions. My sister got an MBA and I got my law degree at the University of Ottawa. And I practiced law for about nine years. And then I helped some friends in their business and it really went well. And I left my law practice and started running that business for them. And from there, things kind of just exploded for me. I was a part-time sports radio talk show host, which was a passion of mine. I ended up running some pretty interesting companies. And then I got recruited to run a big company in England and I moved to Europe. Uh, I came back to run a big company in Las Vegas, but I was based in Montreal and then after that, I just became, I think, mostly an investor and a board member. And I invested in Cirque du Soleil and I became the chairman of that company. And today I spend probably 30% of my time helping raise money. I raise money for Trade. I raise money for the Jewish community. I raise money for the St. Mary's Hospital. I raise money for the Douglas. I raise money for the Montreal Museum of Art. I do a lot of fundraising. I think because I've become known as a uh, Dragon's Den participant, And I have a bit of a Twitter following. I'm trying to use it to inspire people to donate money. I try to use it to inspire people to get vaccinated if they're scared of the vaccination. I try to use it to challenge the government with whom I'm quite close, but when I feel that there are things that I don't agree with, like Bill 21. You know, I play hockey at LCC once a week. I invest and I have two sons who live in Montreal, so I'm very happy about that. I married Joanne marie for 30 years, and uh, she loves LCC as much as I do. And that's uh, kind of the two and a half minute story.
0: <laughs> well, it's a good story. So what kind of advice do you think you'd give to, you know, you talked a lot about your path and your journey of how you became successful. What words of wisdom would you give to the kids that are coming on to graduation or young alumni, or I guess maybe just anyone in their career path?
1: I have a lot of hope and confidence for these graduates. And at the same time, I have a lot of empathy for them because the level of anxiety and competition and pressure is way higher than it was when I was in high school and when I went to CJEP. You didn't need to know what you were going to become. The competition among your colleagues, friends was not that fierce. We kind of took it one day at a time. And I feel that these young people, I don't want to call them kids, but these young people are under tremendous amounts of pressure. And what they don't realize is that basically what you want to happen will probably happen. You may not have good marks in school. My average was in the low 70s. You may not get into the school you want to get into. I didn't get into Marienopoulos. I didn't get into McGill Law School. There's always a university for you. There's always a program for you. There's always a job for you. You may not start with the job that you want. So what I tell people is put less pressure on yourself. Find things that interest you. Pursue them, but really pursue them. If you're really interested in art, then you will be spending your spare time reading about and Googling about and studying about art. If you really love business, then you will be spending your spare time. And this is another thing that you and I didn't have growing up is Google and the internet. So the ability to access every little bit of information about things that might interest you didn't exist for us. YouTube didn't exist for us. So I would spend my time researching what it is that really interests me. You have this entire world that's grown exponentially since I was you know, in 11th or 12th grade, which means you could actually do business in India from Montreal. That didn't exist for us. You could sell or buy from Spain, which didn't exist for us growing up. You could learn about things and businesses and industries just by watching YouTube, which didn't exist for us. So I I just encourage young people to put a little less pressure on themselves and find that thing or those things that they really like. If you really like it, you'll be reading and researching about it. If you read and research about it, you'll know it better than most other people. If you know it better than most other people... You'll find your place and you'll do well in your place. So, you know, passion, education, self-educating, it's important today. What you learn in school is a small piece of what you really need to know when you get out there. What you really have learned in school is friendship, relationships, responsibility, authority, discipline. Those are the things you learned in high school. And now you're going to learn all the rest. And all the rest is really important. So you have the foundation. And I would just encourage people to self teach and find the things that really interest them.
0: It's so true. And I guess it kind of is trying to put that quote into practice like, do what you love and love what you do, which doesn't come easily for people. And it doesn't always work out that way. But I guess if you can keep your interest somewhere and value some of that as you are obviously working hard and trying to be successful, you know, I also like how you touch on the kids that might not be the honor roll kids, but there's still a place for everybody.
1: You know, I also, I don't like to be a dream crusher, but there's a big but because, you know, if I sit with a hundred young men, 40 of them want to work for a professional sports franchise or they think they do. And there's only 32 hockey teams. And there's, I think, 30 NFL teams. I think there's 30 NBA teams. And there's several million young men and now women that want to work for those teams. So your goals have to be somewhat realistic, meaning give yourself that chance. But set yourself milestones that if that's not working out, that you're going to take a different path. You may end up at the same place, but take a different path. You want to be Taylor Swift. There's one Taylor Swift. And there's millions of people with good voices. So I don't like to crush dreams, but I like people to be realistic about what they, you know, what they expect to achieve. You know, there's one Bill Gates, a lot of young people want to do the same thing, but they won't be able to all do the same thing.
0: Continuing on the lines of the young kids in high school, you were an advocate and instrumental in setting up financial literacy programs in high schools. Can you talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah, so I, I think my view was that, and this is not to be critical. I mean, the government sets the curriculum for basically all the schools in Quebec and in Canada. Really, I find that the curriculum in general hasn't changed very much in the last 70 years. And so if you're not learning about managing finances, about bill paying, mortgages, mortgage rates, stock investing, mutual funds, cryptocurrency, blockchain, If you're not learning, you know, what just happened in Afghanistan, if you're not learning about what's happening in the United Nations, if you're not learning about, you know, what's happening regarding COVID around the world, what's happening in terms of right-wing, left-wing politics everywhere in the world, what's the difference between real news and fake news? How do you know what's a real source of news or not? Well, no one's teaching you that. You're left on your own to not know. And so financial literacy was only one piece that I got really involved with the government and with LCC in particular. But I would like all the things I just mentioned to also become really hot topics. There are many times my own kids, and they're not kids, they're 26 and 21, or my mom, who's 79, tells me a story that turns out to not be true because she or they read it on the internet in a place that looked credible, but it's not true. And it's not easy for anyone, myself included. I'm sure I read a lot of things that think they're true and I dig a little deeper, but I'm sure I get fooled into thinking that certain things are true that aren't. So it's not just financial literacy. It's global literacy. Know what's going on in the world. Now it's true, you know, I just said that you could teach yourself, but school should be a place where we learn about facts and fiction, news and not news, where we learn about some of the other things that I just uh, touched on. So financial literacy was a good start because every single student going to have a credit card, is going to have a mortgage, is going to have a car lease, is going to have a budget, is going to have income coming in, is going to have to pay their taxes. So, you know, probably hardly anyone in high school has any idea how to do any of these things. So I think that it's important to be taught.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Going back to your comment about sport and how if you had sat with a, a bunch of boys, how everyone would wants to work for the professional sports team, obviously your involvement in sport goes back a long time. You mentioned back in the 90s, you were hosting a talk radio show. And then recently with the involvement of trying to get the Expos back to Montreal and your heart ownership in the Seattle Kraken, what was that journey in sport like? Because yeah. clearly it, it, took, it took a turn and... That would be interesting, I think, for our listeners to hear. It did
1: take a turn. So I really admired a sportscaster named Howard Cosell when I was growing up. And, you know, when I talk about finding your passion, I found my passion. I ended up not being, for me, the right area to make a living. But I found my passion. And I walked into the radio station at McGill University I just walked into it and I said, hey, is there any chance I can get on the radio? And someone said, okay, well, yeah, let's give you a shot. And so I got on the radio at Radio McGill. I went to the McGill newspaper. I said, is there any sport that's not being covered here? And they said, yeah, soccer is not being well covered. I said, okay, I'll cover soccer. So I went and covered McGill soccer. And then I got into real radio when I left McGill. So I think that you know the secret there is, I was really passionate about something. It's true, they could have told me no, there's no room here at Radio McGill, and I would have left and then I would have knocked on the door at the McGill Tribune and they would have told me, No, there's nothing for you to do here, and I would have okay, you know, I keep knocking and 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 usually something happens. I mean, it's now many decades later that I find myself in the financial position where I guess I'm very lucky because I've been partners with the majority owner of the Kraken for the last twelve years in many investments and He's a 79-year-old man. He's born the same year as my mom. And he asked me if I wanted to accompany him and Jerry Bruckheimer, the movie producer, in you know as a minority owner of this hockey team. And I was thrilled that he even asked me. And I was, absolutely. And Steven Bronfman, who's one of my closest friends, is really the catalyst behind trying to bring baseball back to Montreal. And so he came to me and he said, hey, do you want to be part of this? It would be so cool. And I said, sure, I'll be a minority part of this. This is great. Let's do it, right? So, I mean... My financial situation has allowed me to be approached with these things. I happen to love sports and know a lot about sports. So I have something to add in board meetings and decisions. You know, I helped design the the, the Kraken jersey, and I'm very proud of how it looks. It's gorgeous. And help, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of their charitable foundation, which I'll just tell you, you know, one of the main focuses of this charitable foundation, it's called the One Roof Foundation, is youth homelessness in Seattle. So we don't have youth homelessness, really, in Montreal. We can't imagine, you know, 13 year olds homeless. And in Seattle, there's a youth homelessness problem. So I'm learning about it and getting involved in it. And it's very interesting. It's obviously very sad, but very interesting.
0: Right. Well, that's also kind of cool that even if you're involved at the level financially, or, you know, in terms of ownership, that you're able to sort of sit around the table and make the decisions that go down to even things like the logo, you know?
1: Yeah. People don't see that, but that's really kind of what I'm involved in because, you know, Ron Francis, the general manager, doesn't care which player I think he should draft. So I may as well be involved in what the arena looks like or or, or, (laughs) yeah, what the mascot looks like.
0: So did you have any involvement at that level when the team, let's say being an expansion team is being created I mean, I can't imagine all the steps in the process, but were you working with him before even in choosing the market or was it always Seattle?
1: Yeah, so Jerry Bruckheimer and David Bonderman were looking for a team for about 12 years. At some point, they were thinking about buying an existing team. Then they were thinking, is it possible to move the Coyotes out of Arizona, and move them somewhere, maybe Seattle? So I wasn't involved with them through that journey until they actually made the bid in seattle and got awarded the franchise
0: okay okay and um does it look good for our expos to come back
1: i think it does i mean i think (laughs) um you know steven is very 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 optimistic but i'm also a big optimist so you know in some ways we're the wrong people to ask but in other ways he's the only person to ask so he's always an extreme optimist. And he is having all these very personal discussions with the owner of the Tampa Rays and with the commissioner of Major League Baseball and with some of the other owners of Major League Baseball teams. So he really does feel confident about it. And it's great to see him so confident. He has this baseball heritage in his veins. His family is synonymous with Major League Baseball in Montreal. And the other owners really respect the Bronfman family a lot, and they should.
0: Right. Well, I guess at this sort of time in our era, I guess we'll say we're just even happy that we have our sports back. Yeah. And you did mention that you were using your Twitter or your um, social media platforms to sort of spread the word about things that you feel passionate about and that you want to help people with. So I know the COVID-19 vaccine was a big one for you.
1: Yeah. So my thoughts on the vaccine are very simple. At first, I thought that there were more anti-vaxxers than there actually are. And then as I spoke to more people, I realized that they're not actually anti-vaxxers. There are anti-vaxxers, but they're so much louder than they are actually in number. But there are anti-vaxxers that don't vaccinate their children, that don't believe in vaccines, that don't trust science, don't trust the government. But moreover there are people who are just afraid of the vaccine and they are afraid of the side effects or there are women that have heard or read somewhere that it could impact their fertility, which turns out to not be true. In fact, the CDC this morning is urging all American women who are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant to get vaccinated immediately because the Delta variant of COVID is way more dangerous for their pregnancy than the vaccine is and way more dangerous for their potential uh, getting pregnant than the vaccine is. So, I see a lot of scared people. I might meet you and you may tell me that I'm not vaccinated because I'm just afraid of the side effects and my friend got really sick for two days. And so I feel like I want to tell you that, you know, the vaccine, I think there have been like five or 6 billion vaccines injected into people. And 99.9999% of us are actually now very, very protected from the virus and almost no one who's double vaccinated ends up in the hospital and almost no one ends up dying. So. You have 88% of the eligible population of Quebec who are vaccinated, and that other 12 are making up 70 or 65 or 70% of the hospitalizations. It's just basic math, you know? Eight out of 10 people are vaccinated, and the two out of 10 are making up the majority of the people that are going to the hospital. So there isn't any argument that anyone can make that is correct, that would refute what I just said, but they do it anyway because Twitter is free. And Facebook is free and YouTube is free. So you can do and say and spread and forward and like whatever you want. So I feel like I could do a small part. In Quebec, it's actually a big part because having 35,000 followers in Quebec and tweeting in French as an anglophone, I actually get a lot of attention and the news media often reprints my tweets. So I'm conscious of that. So I'd rather tweet what I think is smart stuff that may have an impact, a positive impact.
0: Right, right. Which makes sense given the position that you're in and that you, you can do that. I mean, I guess it just even makes me think about social media in general and how so many people use it poorly. And it kind of even goes back to when you were talking about what our kids or the younger generation is living through. We talked about, you know, how their path and to be successful is one challenge that they have because of the pressure and the competition. This whole social media thing is an entirely different ball game, basically compared to how we grew up.
1: Uh, Absolutely, I mean, um, my son introduced me to Josh Richards at TikTok and we become friendly. And I speak to him, you know, fairly often about sort of this new paradigm of social media and what it means. And I try, you know, I try to be cool in my thinking, but I didn't grow up with social media. I didn't grow up with vaping. I didn't grow up with body shaming on Instagram. I understand that, you know, people are feeling super insecure by scrolling Instagram and thinking that everyone is gorgeous and skinny and awesome and everyone's happy and in love. And that's the Instagram version of the person who is probably in many cases very anxious, just like everybody else has some panic attacks, just like most other people do, mm-hmm. uh, is worried about you know whether this boy or this girl or this woman or this man likes them the same way that they do. So people are people, but it's hard to see that when everyone's painting the best version of themselves. And so I wanna try to help young people if I can, but it's a pretty hard, hard one. And that's why I said that in school, maybe you need a 22-year-old part-time teacher to come in and talk about social media. Maybe you need someone to talk about the fact that this Instagram, this fake reality, it's really not real. And I know that there are young people that cry at night because of Instagram oh. or because they're left out of a group chat, on purpose, left out of a group chat, just without any empathy for how much that hurts. Unfortunately, dealing with disappointment is part of life. And a lot of these young people that get left out of the group chat or feel somehow body shame later in life, they kind of become the successful, cool people. And the the sort of bullies become, they just kind of stay like high school. They students.
0: stay bullies. They stay bullies. <laughs> they, stay, they, stay bullies. <laughs> they become adult bullies. <laughs>
1: yeah, they become adult bullies. Yeah. So I just like to tell young people that who are suffering that things do get a lot better. They really do get a lot better.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's an amazing message. And it's something that we just have to keep reminding everybody of as I mean, we're all navigating it for the first time.
1: I mean, I, I, I'm a perfect example. I, I was the shortest kid in my class. I was getting 60s and low 70s in school. Yeah, I was athletic. Girls didn't really, they liked me as a friend because I was the little short kid that looked way younger than everybody else. So in grade nine, 10, 11, I was probably, probably a couple of years behind everybody else. Didn't feel great, you know, but it works out. Like it does, It catches, you catch up in the end.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So what's next for you? What does the future look like? Um,
1: I'm about to join the board of Yahoo. So oh. I'm pretty excited about that because it's a company that's been undermanaged, meaning it's a really famous company, and it could be much better and bigger. So I'm really excited to be doing that. More charity work, more free time, more golf, more hockey. More travel. Well,
0: it's great that you have, you can schedule in your, for your health and well being if you're still playing hockey once a week. And I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I have a gym in my office. So I I try to do a little bit of working out every day if I can. I I, I don't really have a big long plan for the future. I love Montreal. I love traveling at the same time. I'm going to spend quite a bit of time in Seattle. So I'm about to go to Vegas for the first game. Then go to Seattle for the first three games. We're opening the arena on the 22nd of October with the cold play. And then the next night we're playing the Vancouver Canucks. And then two nights later, we're playing the Canadians. So my October is pretty full of hockey.
0: That's going to be great. Especially the cold play part.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So we've got the Foo Fighters and cold play. It's going to be fun.
0: Oh, that's great. (laughs) How are you going to decide who you're going to cheer for when the Habs are there?
1: I don't have to decide it will be Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Decisions have already been made.
0: Yeah, yeah I guess so. I'll have i guess see, so. I'll have
1: to speak to my kids and see.
0: Yeah, people will be following it on Twitter. We'll see what happens.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be tweeting from there 100%, no doubt about it. Instagram, Twitter, the whole thing.
0: Oh, that's so fun. Have your kids followed in your footsteps at all in terms of career choices?
1: My older son is in law school, so my wife and I both are lawyers. We both went to law school. My younger son is very entrepreneurial. He's got a startup and he's at McGill though studying full time. So they're following in our footsteps. Our footsteps are try your hardest. Effort is everything. Work ethic is everything. Find things you like. Get educated because you have the luxury that we will pay for you while you get educated. And so I don't want them to follow in my footsteps, but I hope that they can get inspired by my work ethic and my wife's work ethic.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think even going back to what we were saying at the beginning, work ethic or anyone, whether you're the kid at school where things come easily to you and you get the marks and you have everything kind of laid out for you, or you're the one that might be struggling or have some kind of learning challenges, I think instilling a strong work ethic obviously will help lead to success.
1: Yeah, hard work. I wake up early in the morning and, and, and work hard. Uh, I really believe in, in working hard.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Any other parting words you'd like to leave us with?
1: No, I just, you know, like I said, I love the school. And, you know, I'm quite close with Mr. Shan, with Mr. Vio, with a number of other people in the school. And I love what they do. And I think they do produce young men and women with values. You know, I value politeness. I value respect. I value inclusion. I value equality. And I do think that the LCC is teaching those values. And, you know, if I could be a small part of it and come in once in a while and speak to young people and teachers and have them teach me, that's what I'd like to do, too.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank,
1: thank you, you so thank much. You. Honestly, you're awesome at this. Do it again. <laughs>
0: oh, well, like I said, it's amateur hour for me. You're my second one.
1: No, really, really good. Honestly, I wouldn't really lie. <laughs> great. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to wearellcc.ca
0: slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app
1: so you never miss an episode.
0: Produced and distributed by The Sound Off Media Company.